Welcome to the Back Nine Report, presented by eDraft.com. Hello and welcome to this week's edition of the Back Nine Report, presented by eDraft.com. We go live every Tuesday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time and check in on the world of golf to bring you the latest news, insights, analysis, interviews, recaps, previews. Hey, we cover anything and everything golf. My name is Carlos Torres. Every week, I'm alongside my co-host, Fred Alvader, but he's traveling. You know, he's always saying that he's sacrificing, but he's playing golf. He's playing golf, but it's all for the game. It's all for the, for the team here and for the show. So we have to bring in the best reinforcement that we can bring, and you already know him. He's the great European golf guru, Kieran Clark. Kieran, hi, how are you? Thank you for coming. Oh, my pleasure, Carlos. Thanks for having me on, as always. It's always fun to come on the show and talk golf with you. You know, Fred, I, I wish I could play half as much golf as Fred does. It's amazing <laughs> how much golf that man plays. You think now, as he approaches late to middle age, I guess we could say, that he might try and calm it down a little bit and play less and less golf, but the man keeps going. It's very impressive. He's like the golf-writing version of Gary Player. He has boundless energy. <laughs> uh, but tonight we have so much to talk about. And obviously, I wouldn't say that Fred was actually on the show with us tonight, but obviously I can say that now with him not being here, so he has no chance to rebut, retort against me. But yeah, tonight, I've got a great show tonight. The first major of the year is not the Masters, of course, it is the A&A Inspiration on the LPGA Tour. And as this week, an iconic venue, a great field there, always a fascinating week, obviously. And then, of course, leading into the Masters next week. At the weekend, of course, we had WGC match play. Dustin Johnson is maintaining his dominance at the top of the world ranking. So there's an awful lot happening in the golf and all kinds of levels at the moment, Carlos. The world of golf is hot at the moment. So many topics going off, and there's so much to discuss tonight. <laughs> there's a lot to talk about. I bet he's listening somewhere. He might be driving. He might be going there. <laughs> he's, but he's probably listening. crashed his car, so hopefully not. <laughs> you know, just, just slow down, Fred. Eh? Just you know, pull over the side, maybe. Yeah, hopefully, hopefully he has a good insurance because you know that that, that would be tough. <laughs> I'm sure. But he anyway, does. like, oh yeah, he certainly does. And let me tell you, like you said, we have a lot to talk about. We had the WGC Dell Technologies match play. We have a short preview of the first major this year for the women, and after it's going to be the Masters. So we might talk a little bit about both. I mean, we're going to talk obviously about the A&A inspiration. We have the Part 5 news, and we have a great topic about the internalization of the of the game. So, But let's get started right away, and let's recap what happened on the PGA Tour, the main event. It was the WGC match play. And there, Dustin Johnson, he resisted a back nine comeback by John Ram to win the final of the WGC Dell Technologies match play and claim his 15th career victory and solidifying his position as the world's number one golfer. He was five up through eight holes in the final against John Ram, and the Spaniard was still four down with six to play. But Ram drove the 13th green to make a birdie and reduce the deficit to three. He then won the 15th with another birdie 
And after an incredible shot, oh my goodness gracious, I can't still believe how he got that one out of the threes on the 16, and he made another gain and was just one down with two to play. Oh my God, I thought he was going to get it. But Johnson held on over the last two holes and tapped in on the last one to get the job done. Dustin Johnson really seems to be unbeatable at the moment. He won the Genesis Open by five shots. He won then the WGC Mexico Championship and now has won the match play. He has now won all four WGC championships in his career. DJ is feeling confident that he can win every event he enters, and that must surely include the Masters in two weeks' time. He said afterwards, if I'm playing my best, yeah, I'll play anybody, anytime, end of quote. Bill Haas won the third-place match against Japan's Hideto Tanihara by 3-2. and two. That Japanese player had taken DJ to the 18th hole in the semifinal after DJ had not played that hole, or the 17th for the matter, all week. Tanihara had beaten Jordan Speed earlier in the week 4-2 and two and was ranked 54. He was definitely the Cinderella story after also beating Paul Casey 2-1-1 and, and Russ Fraser 4-2 in the knockout rounds. Despite just missing out on the semi and the consolation match, it was certainly a great week for Tanihara, who also scored a hole-in-one on the seventh hole in his last match against Haas. John Ramp, oh my goodness, you all know, I have said it, he, he's the Rookie of the Year. I claimed him before the season even started. He has climbed already to the 14th place on the official World Golf Ranking, fourth in the FedEx Cup. He only turned professional last year, but he has already established himself as a contender for the biggest prizes in the game. He won the Farmers Insurance Open earlier this season and has earned more than $4 million in prize money in less than a year. I have a ton to talk about John Ram, but so I'll, I'll leave that for a little later on, Kieran. So, but <laughs> I also have a statement on him, and I want to ask you uh, and your take on it. So, so wait for it a little later uh, on the okay. segment. But uh, uh, some players flash early and look great from the start. I mean, Brooks Kepka, he looked like a world beater early on. He, you know, he's another. This this course is feasted for long hitters, and he's one of them, and he feasted on it. He blasted Kevin Kisner, and uh, Kevin Kisner and Jason Doffner, both six and five. I was like, wow, this guy's on fire. He need, yeah, I need to keep an eye on him. He looked supremely confident. He was playing great. Then he disappointed me by winning, all, by winning only one up over Patrick Reed. Of course, I'm just kidding. Patrick Reed, he's a Ryder Cup MVP, and even though he didn't look good there, he looked terrible, you know he was up to at least save some face before it was over, and he took uh, Kepka down to the 18. But then Kepka made another fright training, Alex Noren, in the round of 16 and lost 2-1-1. And, and I'll talk about Noren in a minute. But another player that caught my attention was Phil Mickelson. Uh, he disposed of Siwoo Kim 5-3, and three, Daniel Berger 5-4, and four, and J.B. Holmes 6-5 and five on the group stage, then took it to an informed Mark Leishman 4-3, and three, before falling eventually to the third-place finisher, Bill has to one one You know, Lefty thrives in this type of play, but more importantly to me, it was how good he was looking and how was he was hitting the ball. I think that's good news for him as we approach the Masters. Uh, Norin, that I said, he's showing why. He's one of the hottest players in the world right now, and that his rise and his good results on the European Tour, they're not a fluke. He's got game and he's informed. He beat a superb match play, play, player in Feng Chai Jai D, 
and also Bernd Wiesberger, three and two before he walked over the withdrawal from Francesco Molinari the day before because of a wrist injury. He stopped the Red Hot Kepka, like I mentioned, around 16, and then, you know, he was stopped by DJ. Uh, but it was a great match. I mean, it was a three and two, but it looked a lot more closer than that. Now, here in my heart, really, thoughts and prayers go to Jason Day. I mean, he withdrew mm-hmm. from his first match uh, on the match play, explaining in an emotional interview that his mother, Danny, had terminal cancer. The doctors first diagnosed earlier this year in Australia. She came through Friday's uh, operation well, but they were still waiting to learn how it has spread. You might remember that his father died of stomach cancer when uh, he was just 12 years old. His mother and his sisters sacrificed greatly to advance his golf career. And he said Wednesday that it has been a very, very emotional time. And really, I, I'm still choking right now just to remember how he was that day. So. Uh, our thoughts on prayer goes to him. Also withdrawing from the tournament was Gary Whitland, who cited primarily matters. So, Kieran, I will stop here for now. We have a lot more to talk about the ODC match play, but what's your take on it? Well, obviously, you know, Dustin Johnson, he'll continue in that incredible dominance he's had this year, you know, winning WGCs, becoming a consistent winner on the tour. And obviously, before last year, he was a guy who won essentially once a year, you know, which is impressive enough, but wasn't quite at sort of superstar level. But really, this past year, the past sort of 10 months, he has just kicked on and he's finally fulfilled the potential that his immense ability has, you know, from... But from a sheer talent standpoint, a sheer technical ability, he's just an incredible player. You know, how far he hits the ball, he's so explosive, he's capable of you know, destroying, dismantling any course in front of him, and he really should be you know, a dominant player. And he's now finally showing that. He's now older. He's certainly far more mature than what he was. Obviously, it's well documented what happened a few years ago off the course, and since then he's become a father. He's become a much more settled character. And he's just, he, he has a real serenity to him on the golf course. And uh, he has, has kind of the right attitude, which is nothing really seems to phase him. And that's a rare thing in a golfer. And it's something that's going to stand him really well in major championships and big pressure situations where, of course, in the past, he had, he had some bad luck at times. Remember the USPGA in 2010 where he had the incident at Whistling Straits, collapsing at the US Open at Pebble Beach in 2010 as well, and obviously losing the Open Championship at Royal St. George's, that two iron out of bounds in the back nine, losing to Darren Clark, where he had a lot of really bad bumps in the golf course in big situations. But this past year, he's finally become a closer. And a guy with that ability, that talent, that explosive you know, game, if he can bring that you know, closing ability to his, to, to his game, like someone like Tiger Woods did in the past, or Jack Nicklaus, that's where Dustin really is. This past year, I think his win percentage is 35%, which is really up there with the best, you know, at their best. So it's really impressive. And um, obviously coming from a match play event, which has so many intangibles and variables, you know, anything can happen on, on any given day. You know, some guy can come out and, and just play brilliantly against you, and you, you can get beat having, having played well yourself. Obviously, the round-robin format slightly changed the dynamics of the event, but Dustin's still to come through this one, face a variety of different opponents, but he was dominant. Of course, in the final, he was so far ahead, didn't play quite his best. John Ram showed some real courage to come back against him, but in the end, he held out to win, and that's what Dustin Johnson is now. He's a winner, and uh, that makes him, you know, separates him from the rest of the players at the moment, and... Um, it's really hard to see how 
anyone at the moment can stop him. He's taken this week off from Houston. He's going to play a week. He's taken the week off to rest up ahead of Augusta. And going into there, he finished fourth there last year. Actually had a chance to win the Masters last year. People kind of forget that. We're obviously were so wrapped up in the Jordan Spieth situation and Danny Willett coming through. But Dustin was right there before a double bogey on the 17th took him away from a chance to win. So he came from that fairly confident. He's really carried the momentum from that week last year, for really the 12 months since then. So Dustin is now showing himself to be the ultimate number one. But obviously, you know, in many ways, the, the supporting actor was John Ram, who just dismantled so many players throughout the week. And uh, it's, it's one of these guys who he, he's, he does look, he has something about him that's special. Obviously, he has an incredible game. He's shown that in the past year since he's turned professional. But he also has this intangible, this confidence, this attitude, this mentality, where he, which separates the best players from the good ones. You know, they can all hit the ball well. They all hit the ball far. They're all great partners on their day. But what separates the top guys from the, the, the tier below them is the attitude and the mental side. And John Ram, at the age of 22, seems to have that sorted, much like Jordan Spieth in many respects. You have so many impressive young players where they're coming onto the tour straight out of college and they're almost like veterans already. And um, you know, that confidence they have, that self-belief, they don't fear anybody, they believe in their own ability. And a guy who has the talent that he has, combined with that you know, that mental confidence is a formidable opponent. But Dustin is perhaps the one guy that could have stopped him, which shows how good John Ram has been. So in the end, it was quite an event at the weekend. I still have some reservations about the format. I think the format, the round-robin format, has taken away much of the excitement of the uh, tournament used to have. We had that exciting Wednesday where 32 players left on the first day. Now, I know that television didn't like it. I know the players didn't particularly like it, but it was raw, it was exciting, it was something different. And um, it's less interesting now, unfortunately, during the week. But you get to the weekend with match play, all those variables are there, and it can be extremely compelling when we have a very close match, which we had in the end in the final. So, obviously, a big win for Dustin Johnson, a big week for John Ram, and obviously a lot of other big surprises and big performances this weekend as well. So, WGC match play was, you know, it was entertaining to watch in the weekend, but Dustin Johnson has been just incredible. And, uh, you know, he's certainly right now the favourite for Augusta. Hello? Are you there, Carlos? Yes, I'm here. I, I, thought, I, did, I, didn't, I didn't know if you were finished. I didn't know. Sorry about that. No, no, no. No, 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 no. I, I, I thought you were going to still talk, so that's why. I'm sorry. <laughs> sorry. Uh, when I get started, I don't stop. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, no, no. It's okay. Hey, uh, now I now you might have to stop me because I'm going to talk. You were talking about John Ram, and I... I I, I have to talk for him, and not for a second, maybe a couple of minutes. I don't know. Uh, I'll I'll try to give you the mute. If not, I'll try to put in the mute here and then pass. <laughs> Control yourself now. Yeah, yeah. You know, uh, every 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 uh, everybody who listens to our show knows I labeled him the rookie of the year on our season preview, and I said he wasn't even going to be close. It's a, there was no contest. Give it to him. Give the trophy. This is done. Uh, I mean, the run is for second place, and he's making sure of that with his actions. I mean, this surely was match play, and he looked like a world beater on it. He took down Kevin Chappell, 3-2, and two, Shane and Laurie, Shane Laurie, 2-1, and one, and then he beat fellow countryman Sergio Garcia. You know how much I like Sergio. And he beat him 6-4 <laughs> and four to close up the group stage. Charles Howell was no match at 6-4. and four. 
Sutton Kelsian, who had been playing excellent, and he even beat Rory McIlroy in his first one. Yeah. He went down without a prayer, 7-5. and five. And Bill Haas, 3-2, and two, who Bill Haas, you know, finished third, before falling five shots behind. I, I noticed he was a little anxious or maybe nervous at that beginning, and remarkably, he went down five and uh, was making a comeback and took TJ to 18 toll. But here's my statement. You know, that match with Sergio, and it starts here. That match with Sergio, in my eyes, as they embraced afterwards, and they're friends. They, it felt like a passing of the baton between Spain's current golf star and the upcoming one. Ooh. Ram was just four years old when Garcia turned professional in 1999 <laughs> and earned the nickname El Nino. What, you might remember his voice screen and his joyous runs up the fairway to, batch, to watch the big shots. Growing up in tiny Barica there, a town in northern Basque country about 400 miles uh, from Garcia's hometown of Boreal in the Valencia region, Ram, he watched highlights of Garcia's career and sometimes copied his fairway dashes. You know, he's been on a rocket ride since turning pro out of the Arizona State last year. It took him just four tournaments to earn his PGA Tour card and 12 events to earn his first victory in the Farmers Insurance Open at Torrey Pines. He, he came into the match play seated 21 among the world's top golfers. By the way, that, the victory at Torrey Pines with a last-day charge of 30 in the back nine put all his potential on display. He's definitely one to watch at the Masters, even though rookies are cursed to win on the first try. But even Phil Mickelson said that Ram is the best suited to break that curse that he, this year. Hey, Torrey Pines is a place where rookies don't win either, so it could happen. But Ram said that the match play tournament format suits him well as he pursed his second victory. He said, and I quote, I feel like, I feel like all of us Spaniards really play good at match play because of our aggressive mindset, end of quote. Now, I was thoroughly impressed with him before, and after this tournament, I will go on and say he is surely golf's next big thing. After that miraculous swing he made on 16, that I still have it in my mind. I don't know how he got it through those trees. He said that he swung as hard as he, as he could. Somehow the ball went under the first tee, rose just over the next one, it went through. <laughs> he doesn't know what happened, how it happened, but he said that he thinks that Sevy got her both, made just made them <laughs> a gap in the trees and made his ball go through there. Now he talked about Sevy. I'll tell you this, and this is my how I'm gonna complete conclude it and ask you. To me, he looks to be Europe's next Sevy. He will be the next Ryder Cup star on that team. How you feel about what I'm saying about John Ram? Well, I think you're being a little bit harsh on Sergio by saying that it was a passing of the battle between the two of them. I think Sergio still has much to offer. And I do think, I, do, I, know, I know you're a big fan of Sergio, Carlos, but I do think that, you know, I still believe that this could be the year that Garcia finally secures a major. I think Birkdale in the Open Championship, it could finally be Sergio. He's happy off the course, he's happy on the course, he's still playing well. He can still become a major champion, but certainly we're, we are looking at one of golf's next superstars. In fact, an emerging superstar, a guy who's virtually almost there already. And uh, as I said earlier, he has so many special qualities. It's not just how far he hits the ball, how you know the way he plays, which is obviously very impressive. But there's so many guys who come out and hit the ball well, hit the ball far, and play well. 
but he just has something about him, the mentality, the attitude, the confidence. He has this assuredness to him, which is so rare to see. Again, Jordan Spieth is a very different kind of player from him, but he also has that same level of assuredness, that confidence, that self-belief, that maturity on the course. And that is what separates the top players from the guys just below them. You know, they're all just as good as each other. Really, you get into the world's top 20, top 30, top 50, as we saw at the match, upsets, if you like, can happen. These guys can all play well. They can all win. They're all capable. But to do it consistently, you have to have something else, something that you can't really teach. And John Ram has this inner ability that really does separate him. And we've obviously, for the past couple of years, coming through his college college career, amateur career, we kind of identified him as being potentially the next big star. But then coming on to the tour, he almost won his first event, obviously, as a professional. And really since then, it's been a, essentially an upward trajectory all the way. Obviously, he came close to winning WGC in Mexico, missed a few parts in the back then that cost him, and obviously lost the final here. So he's coming very close to winning some really, really big events against the best players in the world, the strongest fields of the year. And obviously a guy who's he's young, he's 22, but he's only obviously less than a year as a pro. So there's so much to admire about him. Obviously, you don't want to get too far ahead and try and you know hype guys up too early, but certainly all the signs are there that he could be something very special. And as for Augustine, obviously a guy that hits the ball as far as he does is going to have an advantage there, particularly next week with the weather forecast as it is for Augusta, which is to be particularly wet next week, a lot of rain forecast, some potential thunderstorms. And the golf course being softer will again favour the longer hitters. And John Ram is one of the longest guys out there, as of course is Dustin Johnson. That final was incredible with two of them just hitting these ridiculously long drives. I don't know about you, Carlos, but it seems this year that all these guys in the PGA Tour are suddenly hitting the ball 80 yards further than they did last year. The amount of 400-yard drives I'm seeing is, is incredible. It's also ridiculous, really. And the game has you've been you know, changed so dramatically in the past few years with the long hitting. And for all the RNA and USG, you like to pretend that nothing's changed with the golf ball in the distance. You know, obviously, we, often, we can see with our own eyes that the guys are hitting the ball now further and further than ever. The equipment is so much better. Their techniques, their fitness, everything is all there. Course conditioning, it all comes together to make these, these pure athletes hit the ball so far. They're going, you know, they could potentially reduce Augusta Nashville to almost a pitch and putt course next week. Uh, John Ram, you know, I agree with you, Carlos, he's a very special player. And Thomas Bjorn must be going to his bed every night just clenching his fists <laughs> in joy, thinking that he is European and he's going to be a member of the European Tour and he'll be in the Ryder Cup team next year. And he's going to be a huge force on that team. And maybe join Sergio as a pairing next year at the Golf National in France. Uh, I couldn't wait for for <laughs> to see that. And uh, now that you mentioned the long drives, I mean, Rory hit a 410-yard driving hit the first round. And then that last round, DJ hit one 428, and then Ram 438. Of course, it was downwind, downhill, par five. Yeah. But, wow, still, that was like a long drive championship thing <laughs> to me there. Yeah. Uh, but just to clarify, I'm not saying that Sergi is done. And it's just, okay. uh, I, I should have clarified, it reminded yeah. me of like, this is another sport, of course, but it, I remember this match, uh, I also follow tennis, and I remember yeah. in Wimbledon, when in 2001, uh, Roger Federer meet Pete Sampras, yeah. the only time yeah. they, they played, and, and, and that felt like that, even though uh, it wasn't, Pete wasn't done yet, 
but it felt like it. It was like a, this is the next guy that is coming, and to me, it feels like this is the up and coming guy from Spain. Mm. I still think that Sergio has a few more years that he can be uh, playing the same level that he's right now. But I think that John is really up and coming, and, and he definitely has all the skills, that, like you're saying. And uh, now that you're talking about the Ryder Cup, I just want to throw that in and, and talk a little bit quickly about that and the President's Cup. You mentioned about Thomas Bjorn, and I want to – the match play obviously brings the talk about some Ryder Cup and the President's Cup because some of the non-U.S. players look good that could happen mm. like, in, in those competitions. And let's start with the Ryder Cup since you mentioned Thomas Bjorn. And even when points don't start until August later this year, you know that for sure they'll have Rory McIlroy unless he's uh, – injured, most certainly they'll have the veteran presence of Hendrik Stenson, Justin Rose, and Sergio Garcia, which provide a solid four a core. But about the up-and-coming, yeah. we already talked about Ram. I obviously expected more from Thomas Peters here. He disappointed me a little bit. He didn't play bad, but I expected more. still think that he has a great future, especially in the Ryder Cup. But what about some other players that I haven't mentioned now, like for a bit now, like Tyrell Hatton, Matthew Fitzpatrick, mm-hmm. and how about how about Alex Norton? That is five yeah. players there. That when you add them to the existing core, and that also, if you will, the ever consistent Rafa Cabrera Bello, who already played the Ryder Cup, and he's always a quiet but effective performer. Uh, also, Soren Kielsen, who was playing good, and he he's playing great there in, in, in the European Tour. And it looks like Team Europe has a basis to look forward and regain the, the the cup next year. And it's still 18 months away. But what do you think about, especially the Ryder Cup and the Europe? Those, those players. Yeah, very much so. I, I think you know, last year's Ryder Cup was in some ways a, a transitional one for Europe, where a lot of the older guys, like Lee Westwood perhaps, were edging towards the end of their careers really at, at that level. And of course, they were missing the likes of Ian Poulter and Luke Donald, of course, who had been mainstays in the past. And a lot of younger guys were in the team for the first time, like Matt Fitzpatrick, of course, Thomas Peters, who of course excelled last year. So all these young guys... Tommy Fleetwood, of course, has been playing brilliantly this year, leads the European Tour in ball striking, and has obviously played incredibly well at WGC in Mexico. Has become really consistent, has finally fulfilling the potential he had a couple of years ago. He's back on form, is a brilliant player. And, of course, John Ram. These are all young players who are emerging. And the guys, and Terrell Hatton, of course, who won the Dunhill Links last year, is playing consistently now in America. He's obviously a really good player as well. Has occasionally some issues with his temperament, but he's improving on that all the time, becoming more experienced. So all these guys, when we get around next year, next summer, uh, next autumn, sorry, in, in France, they will all be a year and a half more experienced with all that you know, knowledge under their belt, potentially more winning success. They'll probably be more rounded players by that point. So you have, obviously, like you said there, the experienced players, top guys, McElroy, Stenson, Garcia, Rose, the guys that you build your team around. But these younger guys, you know, they're all going to be better than what they were last year. And this year, they'll continue to improve. And Thomas Bjorn, I think, can have a very, very strong 12 next year going into France. So for all the, the task forces and whatnot, I think in the end it comes down to just having the better players. I think the Americans had the better players last year. They played better. I think the European team was weaker last year. That's why I predicted before it even started, the Americans would win that Ryder Cup. And I think this time round, the European team is going to be much stronger than it was last year because they will still have that main core of experienced players. But now, when we get around to next year, the younger group of players will be better, more experienced, and 
harder to beat at the top level. And uh, I think there's a lot of positive signs for the European game. And later on today, or on the show tonight, I'm going to talk about English golf, You know, kind of a renaissance there. So many great players coming through in the top 50 in the world now and in the Masters next week. So there's a lot of positive signs for European golf right now. And certainly you know, Thomas Bjorn will be happy about John Ram, but there's so much for him to be happy about. He is such a strong team to choose from already going into this year. So look, again, like you say there, the only thing that could stop him is some sort of injury crisis. But if that doesn't happen, he will have a very strong team next September. Totally, totally agree. And uh, just to, to wrap up with this, uh, on the President's Cup side, which is this year, we already know mm-hmm. that Jason Day, he, Hideki Matsuyama, Adam Scott, and Brandon Grace, and Louis Heisen, and Charles, Charles Schrosser are the core of that team, and that's a good one. But they always lack depth, right? But then you see a Mark Lishman. He's playing at a very high level and gaining more confidence with every tournament. Now that his uh, wife is healthy, he's really mm-hmm. playing to his potential. This Japanese guy, Hideto Tanihara, he really made an impression, and I think he he stamped himself into a a guy that can play with this guy, at least in the match format, and should be considered for it. Also, KT Kim also is making a push. He got eliminated by Bill Hassing, that's sudden death, but he looked good. And given that players uh, were affected expected to perform better like Emiliano Grillo and Benny Ann really don't seem to thrive on this format at least for, at least for now. What you got from the WGC match play regarding those international players that could complement that big core on the President's Cup side? Yeah, I think, Neil, you know, they came so close last year, last time out uh, in South Korea to actually winning the President's Cup, the international team. Obviously, you know, for years now, it's been a little bit one-sided to the Americans, and I think they will always have a problem, internationals, at trying to create a cohesive team, given all the players are from different parts of the world. It's very hard to bring together a team like that. You don't have the same kind of nationalistic aspects you have to the Ryder Cup, where you have, obviously, the United States against Europe, so it's more European Tour, PGA Tour. The players are united in that respect. It's easier then to create a team environment. So it's harder for the international team. But... Individually, their players are very good, as you see, and the depth is there as well. But Tani Hara, he's been around for a long time now. You know, it's easy to forget, but you know, at the 2006 Open Championship, which Tiger won at Royal Liverpool, Tani Hara was only three shots off the lead going into the last round there. He's been around for many years now. He's a very consistent winner in Japan. And uh, like you say, in this format, match play format, anything can happen. And uh, I think he will be a, a good addition to that team if he's there. But the squad is quite strong now. There are a lot of guys at the top end of the game. Mark Leach is a very good player, a guy who's underrated, a guy who could, who could potentially be a contender at Augusta. He's done that before. Obviously came very close to winning the Open at St Andrews a couple of years ago. So they have a depth of players that perhaps they didn't have maybe five, six years ago. And they have and the new format in the President's Cup seems to suit them a little bit better than the one previously. We saw it last year, obviously, only one point in it in the end in the Americans' favour. So I think Nick Price, you know, he's building something there. A lot of the guys have probably played, going to play in all the teams he's managed now, which is four years in a row he's been the captain. So I think they are creating more of a continuity, which they didn't have before. So trying to replicate what, what the Europeans have done in the Ryder Cup and, of course, what the Americans are trying to do now in the Ryder Cup. So international team, you know, they also have problems trying to come together, but individually their team is very strong. So they can find the right balance with their pairings and, to, you know, and bringing people together then they have a very good chance of winning the President's Cup because you know they, they have a strong team 
and Liberty National, you know, a golf course many of the players know well, of course, having been a venue in the past in the FedEx Cup, and a lot of the international players, most of them indeed play full-time in the US now anyway, so I think they have a very good chance. Um, obviously, it doesn't quite have the same hype to it as the Ryder Cup, but the President's Cup, you know, when it's on, when it's, you know, it can be very exciting, as we saw last year, it's a good exhibition for the game, and uh, I'm looking forward to that towards the end of this year. But like you say, Carlos, you know, I think the international team is getting stronger all the time, and I think you know, they will push the Americans very strongly this year. Totally agree. And with that, we'll wrap up what was the WGC and some Ryder Cup and President's Cup uh, previews there. So also, the, we have to keep going, and the LPGA had a, a tournament. They, yeah, they're going to have the A and A inspiration, but they had one. And Kieran, what happened this week with Miriam Lee? She she seemed like she was playing somewhere else other than the the rest of the of the women there. <laughs> well, indeed, she set a, a tournament record, well, matched tournament record of 20 under par at the Kia Classic in California. She was six strokes ahead of the field. And, uh, you know, obviously a tremendous performance. Then that's her third LPGA Tour victory. She won two events uh, three years ago in 2014, her rookie season, that was. And she was, she was actually only one shot ahead of the field going into the final round, but she just pushed right ahead on Sunday with a final round of 65 to finish miles ahead of So Young Roo and Austin Ernst from the U.S. So a, a great victory for her. And uh, she actually had a, some injury problems last year. I think she had a thumb injury, which kind of hampered some of her, her practice time, some of her tournament play. So she used to have that behind her now and is back to playing consistently. She's a very gifted player, obviously, and has much to offer. And, of course, may, we'll fancy her chances going into this week at the first major of the year. So a great, great win for her. But there was actually a huge tie for four of a lot of top players there, including Jarena Pillar, Sung Kun Park, Karina Sher, and Christy Kerr, who actually won the title two years ago here when Miriam Lee actually finished second that year, and Christy Kerr had set a tournament record of 20 under par. So for Miriam Lee, it was kind of redemption for her in this event, coming back to win it two years after almost winning it. Um, and Lee has a brilliant golf swing. I was watching her on YouTube earlier on, such a great golf swing, very classical. Um, so she's a, a very talented player, coming back to form, a winner again, and one of, these, one of the many players from Asia who you have to look out for because she is one of the best of them. And there's so many of them. There's a great depth of players coming from from Nice nowadays, of course. Well documented on the LPGA Tour. And Miriam Lee's perhaps been slightly under the radar compared to many of the other ones, but she's right up there in terms of her ability. And getting her third victory on on the LPGA Tour is a big statement. So, um, again, as you say, Carl, she, she was playing a different golf course, it seemed like, on Sunday. And uh, But all credit to her. A great performance and a great victory. And I expect more for her to come if she stays fit. Because last year, as I say, she had some injury problems last year. Uh, a troublesome recurring thumb injury. But if that's behind her, watch out for her. She's a very good player. She definitely uh, is. Yeah. I must quickly say that perhaps the second biggest headline, of course, was actually defending champion Lydia Cole. Incredibly. Missed the <laughs> cut. Who could believe yeah. that? <laughs> what? No way. I, I almost I, forgot. I mean, I'm sorry. <laughs> Incredible. <laughs> I was just going to mention that she did it, and on the other end of the of the spectrum, you see Lydia Cole is still struggling with regaining that that dominating form that she used to have because she's not dominating anymore. Definitely, uh, she has the talent, but I think she needs to straighten out that mind of hers. But definitely, Miriam Lee uh, is a great talent, and it's great to see her finally breaking through. And hey, just another one from 
from Asia that comes to dominate here on the LPGA. And there was also mm-hmm. action in the PGA Tour. There was another tournament. It was in my home island of Puerto Rico, Indeed, Puerto Rico yes. Open, where DA opens. He secured his third PGA Tour title with a two-stroke victory over Bryson DeChambeau, Nuri Teeth Goose, and Bill Landy. Uh, he fired a closing round of 66 at the Cocoa Beach Golf and Country Club to win the Puerto Rico Open, and he earned a two-year exemption on the way he held on to win by two shots over former U.S. amateur champion Bryson DeChambeau, two-time U.S. Open winner uh, Ricky Goose and Bill Lundy. That was a big week for points who had lost his card a year ago. He's now exempt for those two years on the PGA Tour. And although the victory doesn't earn him a place at the Masters, it does gain him entry into the Players' Championship and the PGA Championship. Retief Goosen, he posted a closing 64 to finish in a tie for second. That was his best PGA Tour result since he won the Transitions Championship in 2009. Chris Stroud, he had held the lead through 54 holes. The first time he had been in that position on the PGA Tour, he was trying to win for the first time in his 277 start, but he struggled home with a closing 71 and finished four back. Arnold Palmer's grandson, Sam Saunders, he finished in a tie for fifth with Peter Uline. Saunders' best finishes on tour have come here in, Puerto, in the Puerto Rico Open back in 2015. He finished in a tie for second behind the winner, Alex Checa. And Uline, he continues to make a slow but steady progress. This is his fourth top 10 finish around the world this year, and he has climbed from 297 in the world, which was where he was when he played the Australian PGA Championship late December to 159 now after this tournament. Still a long way to go, but hey, he's making slow progress. And Kieran, Andrew Beef Johnson was a big hit with the fans as he's everywhere. Mm. He finished in a tie for 10th. And Graham McDowell and Ian Poulter, who played excellent last year, were two of the fan favorites that were expected to contend, but they didn't make the cut. Yeah, and I guess, I guess it's a sign again of the fall from grace for both McDowell and Ian Poulter, two you know, great players, two Ryder Cup mainstays who just have not been quite at it the last year or two. And um, that decline, again, so many great young players coming up and rising through the game that for the older guys, if you don't quite maintain that level, you're going to get overtaken by the young guys. And that's what's happened to these two and many other players like them. But actually that event in Puerto Rico had some really interesting names on that leaderboard. And Ortiz Goosen, great to see him playing well again. You know, a fantastic player in the day, a guy who's got just a great golf swing. You know, he's had a lot of injury problems in recent years, but back fit, he's still a very good player. And, of course, Beef, you know, continuing to play quite solidly, enjoying himself over on that side of the pond. So he's having a great time, and the fans love him. So, again, interesting event there in your home, your home island. So, uh, great stuff. But over on the web.com tour, they were across the water at Louisiana, in Louisiana, Louisiana Open. And a guy who has sort of had success in the past, drifted away, now he's back again. That was Casey Wintenberg, who, of course, he was a former... U.S. amateur finalist back in the day and a top amateur player, but the professional game hasn't quite been as, uh, as generous to him in, in his career so far. He's 32 years old now. He won his third Web.com title by, by three shots after a final round of 69. He had really dominated the event to that point during the week. He was well ahead going into the final round. And actually, he won the, the Web.com tour in 2012, but he failed to retrieve his card on the PGA Tour the following year, so he has, hasn't quite broken on to the PGA Tour, which many of us would have expected he would have done so given his ability as an amateur. Actually, going back to 2003, he lost the U.S. Amateur 
that year. He won the Salon Amateur that year, and he actually finished tied for 13th as amateur at the Masters in 2004. So a guy who had a lot of promise as a youngster, a big friend of Paul Creamer. He actually gave her the nickname of the Pink Panther, I believe, so he's kind of famous for that. But as a golfer, he hasn't quite made it at the highest level, but he's certainly capable. He's still relatively young. So he's going to, he, look, he, he now looks set for a return to the big time next season on the PGA Tour. And uh, hopefully for his, his sake, he'll actually have a better shot at it this time and uh, try and keep his card next year. Because he's certainly a very capable player. He had a great, promising young career. Hasn't quite made it so far, but you know he's always capable. And a guy who's at the other end of the spectrum, if you like, was Robert Allenby, who has made headlines in recent times, cast for you know, you know every single reason you could imagine apart from his golf. He's been under a real cloud over the past couple of years, but he started. He played well this week, and he finished in a tie for fifth in Louisiana on the web.com. So maybe Robert Allen being now an experienced player, well into his 40s, maybe he's going to edge back onto the PGA Tour next season. We'll have to wait and see. But certainly a guy who, you know, he's he's made some mistakes, but he's also been a very accomplished player and still still capable, obviously, of playing well. So that was good to see. So Carlos, obviously, you know, so many events to go through this weekend you know, on all the different tours. A lot of very interesting winners, a lot of guys who maybe didn't expect to be on leaderboards being there. So a fascinating week overall, Carlos. And with that, we'll conclude our weekend boxing. Let's take a short break. When we come back, we're going to see the look ahead on the LPGA A&A Inspiration to go away. We'll be right back. Thank you for listening. We'll be right back. In the meantime, don't forget to visit www.edraft.com for analysis, breaking news, and more. Also, remember to follow us on Twitter at edraftsports and on Facebook at facebook.com backslash edraftsports. Now, back to the show. And we're back, and now it's time for the four call. Where hey, it's four. We're looking. Hey, look ahead. Four. There, there goes. We're gonna talk about a little preview about the first major of the LPGA. And before I start uh, this, uh, I gotta say, finally, the major season is here. We start with the LPGA yeah. next week. Is gonna be the Masters. Yes. Finally, they're here. Uh, and, of course, this week the LPGA moves to Rancho Mirage in California for the playing of the NNA Inspiration. This is the first major championship of the season. Most of you will probably remember last year's exciting finish when Lydia Goldberg in the 72nd hole to finish one stroke better than both Charlie Hall and Inge Shun. Wow, what a time that wasn't how far that look with Lydia Cole the way she's playing right now uh, this will be determined number 7 of 34 on this year's LPGA schedule and the first of five major championships uh, like I said it's going to be played at the Mission Hills Country Club in the Dinah Shore Tournament Course uh, the champion the defending champions Lydia Cole is uh, going to be uh, 108 players, not going to be 144, but still a, a good field. It's a par 72, seven, over almost 6,800 yards. It's a 2.7 million purse. And uh, the entire top 50 players from the LPGA priority list will be teeing it up. 
as will 41 of the top 50 players from the current Rolex rankings. So there will be even the field rating might lose a couple of points because it's not a 144-player field. It more than makes up for it by including Bo Bo Lee, who's number 17 in the Rolex rankings, and Ying Yong Ko, who's 34. Uh, players that you have to look for, of course. Uh, I would, I'm going to give you some players to watch out for, and I'm feeling this. And I think Brittany Lincecum, she's playing well and has yeah. won this one twice already. Lexi Thompson, she always plays well here. I I said on the man that you know John Ram was gonna be no contest the the rookie of the year. Song Young Park is the rookie of the year here. That there's no contest and this course fits her game and she is overdue for a win on the LPGA. Also Hannah Young, hey, because she would be the first player to dance in Poppy's Pond. I wanna see her win just for that. <laughs> Uh, some long shots that you could see, it's not likely, but it's not impossible, I would say. Look out for uh, Jody Iwarchadov and Karen Eaker. Eaker. I mean, they have been playing well every week since mid last year. And, you know, everybody's talking about Aria Itano. And look out, Mori is playing well. So watch out. And, hey, Lydia Ko, she had her cut streak, uh, stop at 40 straight, like you mentioned last week. Uh, it was only her second cut that she has missed in her career. Amy Yang yeah. had her at stop at 37. Uh, let me tell you, it's it's uh, So Young Ryu is a player that is moving on. She's playing at the good at the right time. She made the most important move on the Rolex rankings this week when she jumped from number five to number three. Miriam Leach, she leaped from 21 to 14, so that was a big one. And have to mention, well, the leader so far in the race to the CME Globe, the winner will go $1 million. That's Aria Yutanagan, leading with 949 points. She's followed by Sonia Ryu. She's playing really, really well. Hannah Yang has 791. Miriam Lee, 725. Anna Norquist, 679. And Brittany Lincecum, 677. And... Who's hot? Well, Soyeon Ryu, she has finished in the top seven in all four of her starts this year. Moria Yutanaran is the only player to finish in the top 20 in all six tournaments this year. And uh, who's not? Well, I have to tell you that Lydia Ko has been winless, incredibly, in her last 14 starts. She has had just one top five over that period, and her world number one ranking is now in jeopardy. So... Uh, how how do you see this tournament, uh, Kieran, the first major on the LPGA? Well, I agree with many of the names you've mentioned there. I also think this event is a one that sort of rewards longer hitters. I think it's a you know, long golf course for the women. I think big hitters tend to succeed on this course. And for that reason, like you, I, I would reference you know, Lindsay Combe has, has a great record here. And Lex Thompson as well, you know, two American players who perhaps at this event in more recent years with a great domination of the Asian players, this event's always been a refuge for the Americans over the years in more recent times. They've picked up wins here, but they haven't elsewhere. And that may continue this week. You know, I think Lexi and Brittany, you know, they come in here playing relatively well. Certainly Brittany, of course, winning earlier this year. Lexi's a little bit more mixed, but always capable. And again, two long hitters, that bodes well in this course. And I think they will both be in contention coming into the weekend. Uh, but again, so young, really, like you said, that she's playing really well this year, really consistently. Finished second here four years ago, so you know, has a record on the golf course, which has good memories for her. You know, she could certainly be very capable of winning this. Um, again, Sung Park, who of course has made all the headlines last year, 
you know, great player, emerging out of nowhere, really, and uh, contending in all the majors last year, really. Uh, again, waiting for a big breakthrough in America, and uh, maybe this week, you know, she is, again, a big hitter like Brittany, like Lexi, so I think that will stand her well, too, and she might play. And again, of course, don't forget MB Park, you know, of course, is, you know, won a few weeks ago, you know, still, you know, still a great player, former winner of this event, of course, and uh, still on our day, you know, brilliant putter, one of the best putters I've ever seen, and uh, she's always capable of winning any event, and uh, maybe not quite at the same level as she was a few years ago, but still very capable. And, of course, as an outside player, I wonder what odds you would get in Lydia Cole winning this week. Of course, who is, like you say, they're coming in with patchy form. Again, it's not terrible form, but for her, it is, you know, comparatively. And really, she's in a fascinating stage of her career where she's still, of course, tremendously young. But she, this is really the one spell she's had so far in her career which hasn't gone to plan. It's not been ideal. She's changed things around her, her team around her, her game's changed, so it's... She's going through an interesting spell psychologically, so we're interested to see where she can come in here with some good memories, obviously, from last year, and can she try and get a good positive result back on her record? So, again, don't rule her out completely, but I think the other names we mentioned there are likely contenders this week. And, of course, Charlie Hull, who finished second last year, of course, came so close to winning. I was reading earlier on this evening, actually, that she is suffering from a fractured wrist, uh, which she discovered last week. But, strangely enough, it's been a long-term injury that she didn't know about. And uh, it was an NFL physiotherapist, he looked at it, he diagnosed it. It's a small crack in her bone and her wrist, and it's always going to be there. There's nothing they can do about it. And uh, occasionally it will be inflamed, like it was last week. So she has to wear a cast when she goes to her bed, where she's not playing golf. When she's playing golf, she's fine. So she has a kind of recurring injury that is there, and it will be a permanent feature going forward. So that's a interesting little bit of insight into Charlie Hull, who, of course, is an aggressive player, always fun to watch, great attitude, always capable of playing well in the big events, and, of course, came so close to winning last year. But again, Carlos, like you say, this event is always its the first major of the year on any tour. It always comes with that baggage with it, that excitement. It's kind of the LPGA's equivalent of the Masters, same venue every year, iconic memories. And uh, it, it should have been a good one this week. Obviously, so many good players playing well from across the world. And, uh, again, the story is can some of the American players come back and try and wrestle back the headlines from the Asian players. So it should be a, a good one. But certainly, I think this week, you look out for the long hitters. I think the course it sets up well for them, Carlos. I have two more things on the women's before we go. And one of them is, is a trivia question I have for you, and you are the perfect one to answer it. So that will okay. be the last but uh, uh, the, Fred sent me today uh, this question, and it was because he saw a rant that was Randall, uh, what's his name? I'm trying to, for, to remember here. It was Randall Mel in the Golf Channel. Randall Mel, yeah. Who, yeah, he said that it's time for LPGA's courses to get tough. And he says that they're, too, they're being set up too short, and he cites uh, Karen Stopples, who said, uh, that when she was playing even three to four years ago, uh, courses were being set up longer, and now that they barely go over, rarely go over the 6,500 yards, of course, yep. today, this year, I mean, this week is going to be one of the exceptions, but he says that, you know, they need more of a challenge. Uh, do you see it being that way, that the courses are being set up short for the women so that they can look better, or, or are they really... Don't need that. What do you think? I, 
I, I think what you need is, is variety. Yeah, you want throughout the season on a schedule, players to to be presented with different kinds of challenges every single week. Have an event where maybe the the rough is long, fairways are tight, a shorter course, a longer course, a, a wide open course, fast greens, slower greens, undulating greens. You know, present the players with different challenges week to week and make it interesting to that respect. But I, I don't have an issue with you know scoring being low. I think player fans watching on television and for us to watch, it's more enjoyable when players are making birdies left, right and centre and eagles. It's more exciting to watch, I always think. That's why I feel that people love the Masters. You know, no one says the US Open is their favourite major because there's never any birdies. Everyone loves the Masters because it tends to be birdies. It's more exciting. It's more fun to watch. You give the players a chance to express themselves and be creative and play well and show, how, show them how good they are. Obviously, you want players to have a challenge. As you say, Carlos, Mission Hills is a longer course. It's challenging in that respect. Of course, your know, length isn't the be-all and end-all. You can have a shorter course that can be, can be challenging. You can put the pins in different places. You can grow the rough. You can move tees around. You can do all kinds of different things. So I think you know, longer courses aren't always the answer. I think you want variety, and that's what you want in a tour to give you people watching something different to see every single week and the players themselves a different challenge every week it's good for everybody but for me I, w- I would much rather see birdies than bogeys I think it's better for everybody to watch excitement you know, players being aggressive and having a go and uh, I think that is more en- entertaining for us to watch and it's more entertaining for the players themselves to play in I totally agree. I think I, I cannot express it better. I, I think that that is the key. Uh, variety. I, I don't think Uh, I want to see the women trying to go longer courses. Uh, that's not their, their forte. Like, the beauty of the women's game right now in the LPGA is how how they play those, uh, the strategy they play with, you yeah, know, the exactly. short shots and all that. That's the yeah. beauty of the of their game right now. If you start to stretching the, the golf courses, you're going to lose that. And obviously there are going to be women that are long haters and they'll be – dominant, but that will take away the the fact that every week, week in and week out, there is a lot of players with a lot of chance to win in the LPGA because of that. You just level the field lead a little bit, but if you, like you said, if you just uh, make it a little more different uh, from week to week, and I think they do a very good job of it, but yeah, like you said, maybe they can do some more variety on it, but I don't, I wouldn't like to see Longer courses under under yep. under play. I think that's the the beauty of their game, and I think that's why they're gaining so much attention because of they they can play. But if you take that part away from them, hey, I I don't want to see it. And finally, well, well Carlos, the, sorry, sorry, yeah. just quickly here. Um, I, you know, you mentioned earlier on there about the PGA Tour being like a long, a long drive contest of Dustin Johnson and John Ram. The PGA Tour now is all about distance, all about power. It's a drive and wedge game. It's not that interesting to watch. But the LPGA Tour, they use all the different clubs. They again, like you say, strategy. Right. They create shots. They play the game that we can relate to. And for me, the LPGA Tour, the players, they are they are more interesting to watch because they play a game that perhaps we saw more 20, 30 years ago where the players now on the PGA Tour is all about power. It, it, you know, the PGA Tour is more one-dimensional than the LPGA is. I want to make sure the LPGA stays more interested in the PGA Tour because I, I wouldn't want to see them both become the same because that would not be good for anybody. No, I totally agree. Totally agree. Hey, today's trivia question goes to you. There are currently 10 active LPGA players with 10 or more wins. How many can you um, name? 
How many can I name? Uh, yeah. Active <laughs> players. Uh, well, um, MB Park. Yes, that's one. Um, Carrie Webb. That's two, yes. She has 41, and May has 18. Yes. There you go. Um, well, think, actually, um, you, you kind of got me stumped here, actually. I lost off Ten players. Actually, I think there were ten players with, with ten wins in the LPGA Tour. Um, who else is active, active. 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 Yes, active. she has 11. That's three. She has 11. Um, does Julie Engster still count as an active player? Yeah, she, she counts. Plays. She counts. She's playing. She played last week. She said she hit a 64. So, yeah, she has 31. She's the second uh, behind Carrie Webb. You have four. Okay. I have, I have, I have four. Um, uh, let me think. Uh, Chris DeCare. Yes. 18. Just Chris like Kerr. in Bay Park. That's five. You're halfway. Um, uh, I'm not sure about this one. Um Olivia Cole, surely. Yes, Olivia Cole has to be. Of course. She has 14. Yeah, six. she has to be. She's still so young, but she has, must be on there somewhere. <laughs> um, uh, who else have we got? Uh, Yanni Seng. Oh. Yanni Seng yes. still plays. She, she was brilliant two years ago. You're almost there. Three more, man. Three more. You almost got it. You almost got it. Three more. And I know um, the three, two are very, I'm going to give you a hint. Two are more close to you than what you think, and one is more to my side here. All right, okay. Um, uh, so my, I'm over 30, over 30. Um, over 30, all three of them, over 30. Okay. Uh, Suzanne Patterson. Yes. She has right. 15. Um, and another, another, another European player. Yes. Um, very, very strong woman, you know. She, uh, she's still active. She's still active. You might think that, you know, because... Is, is, is she an older player? Yes, she is. She is. She is. She is. Is she around the same age as Julie Inkster? All right. Yeah, well, yeah. You can okay, say uh, okay. It's Laura Davis then. Yeah. Damn, uh, yeah. Laura Davis. She's have one more to go, and she well, just one played more, this one last. Yeah, one um, more, and then the lower one that, that has ten only, but she's she right ten there. Ten only. Oh, yeah, okay. and, and she's American. She, she's American, and she has been uh, a heart and soul of the Solheim Cup many times. Uh, she's a veteran there, and uh, she got married not too long ago. Oh, oh, I think that actually. That was the clue I needed. I actually didn't think she had 10 wins, but is it the pink pattern for herself? Yes, Paula Creamer. Oh, Paula Creamer. I can't back Carrie, up, there you go. I, I think... Oh, <laughs> I can't believe yes, I got Julie. them all. Yeah, you got them. You got them. There it is. I can't believe... <laughs> I, was, I was struggling there at the start. <laughs> well, to be fair, I, I think you kind of... You just about gave me the answer to the last two, but I, I'll take it. Okay. But you got him because it wasn't easy anyway. I wasn't giving it away. But, uh, so you got him. You got him. You got to give me your credit on that one. <laughs> and Carlos, can I just say, you know, I, know, I noticed that Lorena Ochoa is coming back to play in an event soon. Does she count as well, a player as well? Because she'll be back for an event. <laughs> that week she will be. <laughs> but for now, <laughs> she's not active. Well, I love that she's going to come back and play. That, that would it's be great. Good. Yeah, I love it too. Okay, let's take a short break. And when we come back, hey, we still have a lot to go. We have the Par 5 News to go away.
Thank you for listening to the Back Nine Report presented by eDraft.com. We'll be right back. Don't forget to check out our co-hosts on Twitter by clicking their names in the episode description. Now, back to the show. And we're back, and now it's time for the Part 5 News, and Fred usually takes this one for the first time, but hey, here it is. He's filling in for him, so Kieran, take up the, the tee shot on the Part 5 News. Yes, thank you, Carlos. And we kind of referenced this earlier on when I was talking about European players in the Ryder Cup. But next year's ma- so next week's Masters tournament is going to be 11 English players in the field, which is actually a record at the Masters for England. You're behind the U.S. They're going to be the most represented nation in the field, which is you know an incredible number of players in a field of just 94 players. 11 of them will be from England. Obviously, Danny Willett is the defending champion, of course, but he'll be joined by Lee Westwood, Justin Rose, Paul Casey, Tyrrell Hatton. Tommy Fleetwood, Andy Sullivan, Scott Gregory, the amateur champion, Ross Fisher, who got in last week at the match play, Chris Wood, and Matt Fitzpatrick. This is a real kind of uh, renaissance for English golf, where so many great young players coming through, joining the more more experienced heads, and creating what was a very healthy contingent of English players at Augusta, and of course, indeed, in the world rankings. 13 of the world's top 100 players are English. And, but you go back 17 years ago to the year 2000, the turn of the millennium, there was just one English player in the top 100, and that was Lee Westwood. And actually in the Masters in 2000, only three Englishmen were in the field. Westwood himself, uh, Graham Storm in as an amateur, and Sir Nick Faldo obviously there as a free-time champion. And John Hopkins in Global Golf Post noted that Willett, Sullivan, Fleetwood and Fitzpatrick all came through the development program that was instigated by the English Golf Union 20 years ago, taking advantage of uh, national lottery funding, uh, coming up to £800,000 annually going towards developing golfers through the amateur game into becoming professionals, of course, in the future. So these young players have taken advantage of that situation. They've benefited from these new improved facilities, improved structure, and it's created so many gifted young players, and surely there will be more to come in the coming years. Obviously, so many of them have played in the Walker Cup in the past. The Walker Cup's become more competitive in recent years. More English players are dominating in that. So it's a very positive time for golf in England, and uh, so many great players coming through. And though Danny Willett won the Masters last year, with the likes of Fitzpatrick, you know, Fleetwood, Hatton, those young players there, you have to feel that Willett will not be the, the last to win a major in the next few years because Carlos has so many great young players coming through from England right now and uh, it really is the envy of most other European nations because you know the best players in Europe right now are generally speaking coming from England so Carlos it's an exciting time for English golf and uh, you know so many great young players coming through and who knows one of them may just succeed next week at Augusta National following the footsteps of Danny and pick up a green jacket. Definitely. I think that Tyrell Hatton there, Matthew Fitzpatrick, there's so many that are, that are playing good, and, and, and it, it must feel great for England to see, you know, that, that they still have such a great future. It's not that Ian Polder and, uh, and Justin Rose are, are fading away. Danny Willett, unfortunately, hasn't followed up, but he's still yeah. there, and he could at any time turn it up. He he really was playing excellent when he was doing so. It's, it's a great thing that's going on there in England. Hey, let me tell you a little bit about 
the Zurich Classic, Steve Worthy, the CEO of Four Kids Foundation, which is the producer of the 2017 Zurich Classic, he announced that Brooks Kepka, who's currently ranked 24th in the world, has picked his brother Chase to team up with him in the tournament. Where they sat, said that their new team format is attracting a number of interesting pairings and that their cop kids uh, will be one of the most unusual that they will have. They were delighted to offer an exemption so Brooks and Chase can play together for the first time, not just in their professional careers, but in their entire lives. Brooks revealed in an interview on Golf Channel this week prior to the start of the WGC Championship uh, WGC Dell Technologies match play that he and Chase have never played together. Brooks has won once on the PGA Tour and six times internationally. His best finish this season was a second at the Triners Hospital for Children's Open. He last played the Sierra Classic in 2014 when he finished tied for 21st. He was a member, as you might remember, of the victorious U.S. Ryder Cup team last year when he was one of the team leaders with three wins. He's one of the longest drivers on the PGA Tour, ranking sixth in driving distance. We saw that this past week at the WC uh, match play. Uh, his brother Chase currently plays on the European Challenge Tour, which where was where his older brother also launched his path to the PGA Tour. He really dominated that Challenge Tour. He won three times and earned the automatic exemption. Chase played collegiately at the University of South Florida, where he was named the Big East Conference Player of the Year and Freshman of the Year. He holds the USF record for the most wins in a college career. Uh, in addition to the Kopka team, Luke Donald, who was ranked number one in the world for 56 weeks, looks like a decade ago, but it was in 2011, 2012, will be partnering in this year's third uh, classic with Jimmy Lockmark made the playoff in last year's tournament. Donald has won five times on the PGA Tour and eight times internationally. He's only one of 16 players to make all 10 FedEx Cup playoffs since the format was launched. He has played on four Ryder Cup teams and three World Cup teams as a pro, plus two Walker Cup teams while he played collegiately at Northwestern. His Ryder Cup is a sterling 8-2-1, and and he's undefeated in six foursome matches. He joined the PGA Tour in 2001 after college and has amassed more than $35 million in earnings. He last played this tournament in 2012. His third place finished that year, vaulted him back to the number one ranking in the world. Uh, so so far this season, Lovemark uh, hasn't been that big, but his best finishes have been a tie for fourth in the Sunny Open in Hawaii and a tie for sixth. The latest commitments add to the, what is shaping up to be the strongest field in years for the Zurich Classic with four players ranked inside the top ten. Already announced our teams of Jason Day with Ricky Fowler. That seems unfair, but they're going to play together. <laughs> also, Justin <laughs> Rose and Henry Stenson, who are, it just seems as unfair as well. But that's the unique team format. Uh, you know, they hopefully he'll be well for them. He, uh, as I mentioned, start to choke up again. Hopefully everything is all right with his, with his mom. Also enter there are Justin Thomas, winner of three tournaments this season and currently ranked seventh in the world, along with Baba Watson, who won in 2011, currently ranked 17th. So, you know, that new 72-hole stroke play will feature foursomes, which is an alternate shot during the first and third rounds and four ball during the second and fourth round. And, Kieran, it really will make it very interesting uh, it will consist of a field of 80 teams, and uh, anything can happen when that that format is right there. 
Yes, it should be good. And I must say, Carlos, I'm going to put my money right now on the Olympic gold medalist and the Olympic silver medalist, Professor yeah. <laughs> Stenson and Rose being the favourites. I, I, I think they might well just win that one. It should be a great event. But, uh, yeah. yeah. Well, over on my uh, side of this now, and we actually, of course, many people will recall a few weeks ago, there's a lot of controversy and headlines about Rory McIlroy, uh-huh. and it wasn't to do with him on the tour playing golf, but playing golf with US President Donald Trump, which generated a huge response across all media, you know, everywhere he was in front page of newspapers and on news channels, he was all over the place. And of course, many people have taken sharply, sharply against President Trump uh, across the world, really. And they suggested that Rory should not have accepted the invitation to play with a president at his course down in Florida recently. Uh, but LPGA Tour legend Judy Rankin uh, defended Rory, uh, the, the four-time mayor champion, and she said, and I quote, Back in the dark ages, I did not agree with everything that Gerald Ford did, but I found him to be the most wonderful man, and I certainly played golf with him. I can't think of a single president that I agreed with everything that they did, no matter who is in office, what happened to saying they are president of the United States? Because you play golf with them does not necessarily mean you support every single thing they do, but they hold the highest office in the land. I'm not sure that an invitation to play golf should be answered with a political statement, and that's probably true. And, of course, the traditional golfers playing with presidents has long been established throughout the years, going back to the late 19th century. But it's you know, quickly, must quickly say it's not all golfers have respected presidents in office. Uh, Tom Lehman famously refused to meet Bill Clinton, describing him as a tax-dodging baby killer. And ahead of the 1993 Ryder Cup, Paul Azinger, John Cook and Lee Jansen made noise about not wanting to visit Clinton in the White House ahead of Ryder Cup, making the excuse of uh, being against tax increases that the then-president was trying to implement. So not all golfers have accepted the, the, the current president of the United States throughout history. It's probably worth remembering that. And, of course, not everybody has accepted President Trump. And uh, two England Patriots players recently refused invitations from Trump at the White House. Uh, other people have as well. And, of course, Roy is entitled to play with whomever he wishes to play with. I want to play with the president. He was, in, was intrigued to meet Trump in, in that setting and try and get an answer into the man. But of course, others are entitled to question Rory's decision to play with a guy who is, who is as divisive as President Trump has been probably the most divisive president that anyone can really remember in recent times. Uh, and of course, later this year, the U.S. Women's Open will be held at uh, Trump's course in New Jersey, and protests are expected there. So, you know, Donald Trump is now President Carlos, but he's still, in a way, still be able to edge into the headlines somehow. Um, so it's, for Rory, it was obviously, you know, much of the criticism to Rory was certainly unfair, and some of it was very personal, which wasn't right, and uh, many people questioning Rory's morals and his beliefs and what he stood for, and that certainly wasn't fair. Uh, but it's certainly fair to say, Carlos, that Donald Trump, he does stir a certain anger amongst some people, and uh, and that's hard to ignore. Oh, totally agree, and uh, it's good that you mentioned that, you know, there's two sides, right? There has been players that have done in the past, but uh, in the case of Rory, I think that it was unfair because uh, he was endorsing anything politically. At the end of the day, yeah. Rory is a golf player, <laughs> and, and he was just accepting, hey, let's just go play. He wasn't 
doing any political statement. He has not been doing mm-hmm. any of it at any point in his career. So, you yeah. know, he even didn't play in the Olympics. And he even came and said that one of the most important things was that he was pressed to represent either which place was he going to represent there, yeah. which tells you that he was shying away from all this political nonsense. And yeah, yeah. He wasn't. He wasn't really trying to endorse anything, which is where I think it was a little unfair. But like you mentioned, yeah, there's no way we can, you know, try to hide the sun with the hand, right? The, the, Donald <laughs> Trump just really, really moves the needle anywhere he goes, and he's very scrutinized and everything. Uh, fairly or, or unfairly, uh, that's not me to judge, but that's the, the simple truth. Hey, mm-hmm. Betsy King, she didn't win in her first six and a half years playing the LPGA. She turned around her career with Ed Oldfield helping her make a swing change, and then she began turning around lives with the idea that she could turn her victories into something that really mattered. King went on to win 34 LPGA titles, but she will tell you the 220 or so wells she helped build to deliver clean water to desperate African villages are more meaningful prices. At 61, that's what makes her all her victories still matter so much today. They've given her the platform to keep delivering what still matters to her. They have helped her deliver clean water to suffering men, women, and children in Africa. And World Water Day was last week, and King was celebrating it by personally committing to donate $1.3 million to the cause, $100 annually until she meets the pledge. The Gulf for Africa, a foundation she founded in 2007, had pledged to join the world's mission's efforts by contributing $10 million over the next five years. King is hoping her pledge will inspire others to join the cause, and you can join it at www.org dot golf for africa dot org and for is just the golf term f o r e is not only f o r is for golf for africa dot org king will attend the this week's a and a inspiration the first major championship of the year she first won it thirty years ago when it was called the Nabisco dinosaur she went on to win it twice more. When King won at Mission Hills in 87, she uncharacteristically leaped for joy at the 70th hole after holding out a bunker shot that helped her get into a playoff with Patty Sheehan. She was never one to show emotion as a competitor, but as, as a benefactor. Oh, you should see her dance when they first crack open a well to deliver fresh water. She says that her Christian faith got her thinking outside herself and the world of professional golf. She has traveled to Africa to see dedications of about 15 of the wells that her foundation helped build. Uh, and she has taken LPGA pros on those trips. She's amazed at how precious clean water is. And let me tell you, it is. How something most of us, most of us take for granted saved lives and enriches communities. Last year, she met a woman named Excellence in a small village outside Zambia's capital who brought home how the delivery of fresh water transforms the entire villages. She said to King that it had been about two years since her village got clean water and not one child had died in that time. The water allowed them to make and sell bricks and they made so much money 
that they were able to pay the school fees for every child in the village and buy school uniforms, backpacks, and shoes for them. In the past, she said that families from the village didn't like to venture out to places like church because the people from the village smelled and were looked down upon. But she said that with clean water, they've become now a model village. And Kieran, that is why World Water Day means so much to King. And really, uh, I have to applaud her for that. It, it, I've gone to many countries where you can see how the water is. And definitely that's something that we should be looking more towards helping. Because that is something that we really can control. Oh, definitely, and uh, that's a wonderful story, and, and tremendous credit to Betsy King for being so involved in it. And Carlos, I also have a kind of an inspirational story here as well about uh, Anya Alvarez, who was a brilliant junior and college golfer who turned professional six years ago. Uh, she played in the U.S. Women's Open a couple of times and had conditional status on the LPGA Tour, played the Sumatra Tour, and so on. However, the, the game was very hard for her, and uh, things began to change, and the game took its toll psychologically on, on Anya. Uh, who has written previously about her experiences of being sexually abused as a child and then later assaulted as a teenager. And those left an impact of depression and anxiety, as you could you know, understand, uh, which had never been fully addressed. And um, the pressures of professional golf, the ups and downs, the striving for perfection, those took their toll on what was an already troubled mind. And in 2013, she was hospitalized after threatening to kill herself at a tournament. Uh, and later, she, at night, she, she panicked about missing her tea time the next day, and she wandered the psych ward and managed to convince doctors by lying about the severity of her condition that she was not a danger to herself and should be released so she could go back and play the next round. And writing was something that gave her solace, escaping from the tension of golf and the fear of failing, particularly in public on the professional circuit. And she has subsequently left the game playing-wise to look after her mental health and has pursued journalism opportunities covering the women's game professionally. And she's also been able to maintain that connection to the game, therefore, and open up about her illness and talk honestly about her depression and anxiety, which she hadn't been able to do when as a player. And I'd recommend reading what she wrote uh, on ESPN and a piece that she had previously written in Teen Vogue about her past experience of assault and rape. She has also been a speaker and advocate for abused and troubled girls, supporting and providing them with a voice, helping them recover from the worst imaginable trauma. Anya's career as a golfer may not have worked out, but she is forging a fine identity for herself as a writer and advocate, and that is certainly inspiring and praiseworthy. Uh, Carlos, we certainly wish her well with the opportunities that come in future. I second that. And with that, we'll wrap up our Power 5 News. We're going to take a short break. We still have a couple more segments. We have the practice range and the final thoughts. So don't go away. We'll be right back. Thank you for listening. We'll be right back. In the meantime, don't forget to visit www.edraft.com for analysis, breaking news, and more. Also, remember to follow us on Twitter at edraftsports and on Facebook at facebook.com backslash Don't forget to check out our co-hosts on Twitter by clicking their names in the episode description. Now, back to the show. 
And we're back, and now it's time for the practice range every week. Fred and I pick a topic, and each of us take a shot at it. Uh, this week, well, Kieran and I will be talking about the globalization of golf. Is it really becoming more of an international game? Has it always been a world game? And we're just finding it out right now here in the States. And, uh, you know, to me, let's start by saying that I think the PGA Tour might be adapting now to the reality that really it has always been an international game. I think that the LPGA and the European Tour are really world tours. They play all around the world. And uh, the PGA Tour is now just grasping a little bit about that. you know. And when, what you reported about the English Union growing golf in England, uh, it makes you think, should we in the U.S. have something like this? Because I just think that here in the U.S., they have been so successful with the with their golfers and with everything in sports and all that that I think that sometimes and I, I, I don't say this as a disrespectful thing, but it's like they're so complacent on it that they think, Hey, we're at the top of the world, we're the best, we don't need to be we are naturally gifted. And it doesn't come that way. You know, now they're facing not only golf, but every other sport that has been a domination like baseball or basketball or tennis before and all that, you see all those international players being the top players now. And I think that that's part of why the PGA Tour now is having an event in Korea. I think that's why part of the move to Mexico, the WGC, was made more than the Trump thing. I mean, they're trying to become uh, an international tour, really like the LPGA has already embraced being an international tour. They held, they hold so many events out there, and you know very well about the, the, the European tour, and that's one of the things that I really like, the opportunity to reach so many of the other countries, and that way really help growing golf in all of, the, all of those other countries. One of the things that was said about the Olympics is that since then, there was a lot of talk about, and I was one that was saying that that is done to get more awareness of golf. Is it growing out there? I think that it is. I think that it helps. It's just not going to be something that it was going to be this year that golf was going to be known all throughout the year. I think it, it's a process that started, but that you have to follow up. And I think that there's a lot of the countries that are following it up, and it's got to keep going. Next Olympics, it has to continue. Then the other ones. It's not going to be in one or two Olympics. It's just part of the process. Uh, there's also Asia that we have said that's the next uh, frontier. In golf, we already saw see how many of the South Koreans and all the other women that are uh, becoming great players from India. We see Anirban Lahiri coming out, Aditi Ashok and the women. Uh, that's a very populous country. It has a lot of potential as well. So it's, it's getting to be a, becoming a battleground, not only for uh, the tours, but also for the marketing companies and uh, from golf companies as well. Uh, Kieran, what's your take so far on all this about the globalization of it? I mean, there's also a great list of South African players, Bobby Lockett players, everything else. 
right now more recently used the Charles uh, Australia Adam Scott Jason Day recently Greg Norman before. What's your take on the globalization of the game? Well, I think the games are always been global. Uh, really, since it changed to develop, it sort of spread out. And uh, look at the great players from South Africa and Australia. Obviously, going back to you know even go back to Peter Thompson or Norman von Nida or you know again Bobby Locke, like you said. Of course, those are very much you know British or European you know, countries. You know, it tends to influence on them. Obviously, great immigration back in the 19th century, and that's where golf stemmed from in Australia and uh, South Africa. And, I, and then in more recent times, it's spread obviously in Asia, particularly in China and Japan and Korea, when those countries have actually tried to be more like the West, or tried to be more like the United States, and more like Europe, and have adopted much of the culture that we have here over there. Um, so obviously, but what has the, has the game fully tapped into that potential, that marketplace? Well, that's a different question. So the game is certainly international, your know, fan base international. Certainly, the growth in the game. In terms of participation numbers, it's not in the U.S., it's not in Europe, it's in Asia, uh, potentially South America as well, of course, and maybe even India, which is, like you say, one of the, the biggest populated countries in the world. So there is potential in that respect, and how can the game harness that? Obviously, the tours are trying to lean into it. The PGA Tour is always trying to build the bottom line and make more money for itself and cr- increase its exposure internationally. And uh, like you say, I think we will see more events internationally going forward from the PGA Tour uh, they have a partnership now with the Asian Tour they've tried to establish. I think that will potentially kick off more in the coming years. And again, the World Golf Championships. You know, why should they all be in the U.S.? They are World Golf Championships for a reason. You know, so like you say, the event in Mexico, that's a start. I think we might see events perhaps in Australia or in Asia in the coming years. Having a WGC that actually moves around the world. I think ideally, if you started the game right now, rebooted the game, you'd have a major championship that would travel around the world. I don't think you, if, you, if you started the game right now, I don't think you'd have three majors out of the four in the U.S. You'd have one travelling around the world in Australia, South Africa, Asia. So, and again, the Olympic Games, that will certainly increase awareness. The long-term impact of that we will not know for many years. Um, certainly, if, the game can, if golf can remain in, in, in the Olympic Games going forward, that will improve government funding in different countries, trying to improve players, encourage people to take up the game and try to improve them as players and build more golf courses and so on. Um, so the golf industry is spreading internationally, not just in Europe or in America, but that's the same with any other industry, really. You look at anything, you obviously manufacturing spread around the world, you have technology, even entertainment. You look at the movie industry now, is so heavily centric, based in China now. So there's so much going on in the world now, it's global. And golf is just part of that. And golf, you know, in many ways is a very conservative sport, is behind many, many other things development-wise, and, uh, and it's finally catching up to the idea that you know, the growth you know, in terms of business, in terms of money, in terms of increasing player numbers and selling merchandise, selling clubs, more TV viewers, the growth in that is not in the U.S. or in Europe. The growth, potential growth is in internationally, and that's the same in you know, any, any industry. So golf is catching up to that fact. But it will certainly be many years till we realise the full potential of that. But in terms of players, you know, obviously there's been a great history of international players throughout time. But these days, you travel. You know, it's much easier now to travel from to America and elsewhere on planes than it used to be back in the day. So now that the world is more accessible, the world is much smaller than it used to be in that respect, and that in itself is bringing the game internationally closer together. So we're seeing a international growth in the game. Also, we saw that in the LPGA Tour around the turn of the century, all the Asian players coming in after Siri Pack. I think within the next decade or so, we're going to see a lot of players following in the footsteps of the likes 
of Hideki Matsuyama. We're just waiting now for the first real Chinese players to emerge on the PGA Tour. And Carlos, it's only a matter of time until it happens. And when it does, the floodgates will open and the American players will start to start worrying about all these foreigners coming in and taking their money. <laughs> yeah, because all the money is here. But no, no, really, I mean, they seem to forget that the golf was first played outside of the U.S. It was in the 15th mm. century in your homeland of Scotland, Indeed, right? yes. So, you know, it's it's... It's just one of those things. Uh, and like you mentioned, to me, there's a lot of potential there down there in, in, in Asia. Uh, like you mentioned, Hideki Matsuyama, everybody knows. Uh, I've been saying he's going to win the Masters. Uh, so uh, he, he, he definitely, if he becomes or gets close to become the world's number one, I mean, Japan, that's where the Olympics are going to be next. They have a huge dedication of fans there for yep. everything they do and uh he's bringing a lot of attention there i mean before him rio ishikawa was expected to be his in his shoes fortunately injuries uh have cut short uh, his potential but now hideki has really become the most successful japanese ever and in china like you say hey there is also shangshan fong when she finished third there in the olympics she brought a lot of attention there in China. Mm -hmm. Even when the communism there, they are really more against golf now that she brought all that attention because that's part of what the Olympics do. They get yeah. people outside of the sport to watch it. That's the thing, the real impact on it. And it may not transfer into an immediate action, but it gets that awareness. And, oh, wow, mm -hmm. we had a player there that finished third and won an Olympic medal because at the end of the day, that's what they're counting on. How many people are, are winning outside of the stage, right? As, oh, how many people we got winning a medal? And uh, she did that for that. And she said that when she went went back, she got that reception and, and she saw the awareness. Even the, the Russian girl, Maria Verchenko, she didn't do anything other than do the holding one and that big, uh, and that big drive. But she said that that even that shot that got that attention for her got attention back in Russia, which is also a place where golf is not welcome. But now they're paying attention to it because of the attention that she brought into it. And yep. of course, in Bay Park, winning, we all know the, the great reception that she got. And uh, yeah, I think that, like you mentioned, this has been always a global uh, game. It's a world game. It's just that. I think that is more awareness now in the states that hey, it's really been that way. We better get into it and and, and start playing outside because the LPGA really has been an international tournament, an international tour for years, and the European tour really has a mm -hmm. lot, a lot of uh, track on that track record on it for a long time, and and I like I for one, and whoever hears the show knows that I have been a fan of what even though a lot of people don't might not like it, but there's a lot of people that do like what uh, the New European Tour director is doing. So uh, mm. I think that they're in the right track. They're changing a lot of things. Uh, of course, change is not good for everybody, but I think that <laughs> that will attract a lot of more uh, awareness and grow the game at the end of the day. You know, there's a lot of the players that are right now in the top – 10, the top 20 that are not from the state. So really 
you just have to look into the LPGA and see how many foreigners. Yeah, you discount the South Korea. Yeah, but how many foreigners from the are there in the top rankings? Anything you would like to add before we close this segment? Uh, no, not at all. Just say I've enjoyed the enjoyed the show tonight, and um, you know, looking forward to next week. Well, we still have the final thoughts, and you have a well, couple there. Well, how are we? I there. do apologize, Carl. It's yeah. half past two in the morning. I was, I was just closing tired, the sorry. practice range. I was just closing the practice range. Let's do the final I do apologize. I got ahead of myself there. Yeah. So what do you have for us on the, on the final thoughts? Uh, yes, I do have some final thoughts for you, and it involves uh, things being auctioned off. And, of course, at the Arnold Palmer Invitational, uh, Ricky Fowler wore some special edition Puma Golf shoes to commemorate the late, great... Arnold Palmer, of course, passed away last year. The shoes had images of Arnold Palmer and his logo, and they actually looked quite nice. And uh, Ricky put a pair of these up for auction on eBay, and they fetched a very impressive $25,000, with those proceeds going to Arnie's Army Charitable Foundation. So that's excellent. And elsewhere, there's an art auction, of course, and next week is the Masters. It's all about the green jackets. And there was actually a, a, a genuine green jacket dating from the 1950s. Uh, on for auction on greenjacketauctions.com quite fittingly. It was discovered back in 1994 in a shop in Toronto, Canada with a price of just $5 by an avid golfer who knew exactly what it was. don't know how it got there, who, who it belonged to. And this j- jacket is expected to fetch in the neighborhood of $50,000 on the market. So, you know, these green jackets, if you want to be a Masters champion, go on and buy the jacket <laughs> and you can pretend to be one. <laughs> I'll go buy one at least I'll, I'll post it there hey I, I got the green jacket you know <laughs> thank you oh well I think we, we, me you and Fred we can actually share it at different points of the year four months yeah. of the year you send it to me I'll send it to him we can wear it at different points of the yeah. year <laughs> we should I'll talk to him let's see if we can we can buy one and, and do that yeah and at least get our, our picture taken with it well, hey, has the money know, of course he can pay for it of course and that's what I that's why I'm saying I'm going to talk to him so he can buy it and we can you know share it afterwards uh, <laughs> hey Golf Channel announced expanded production plans for live coverage for the 2017 drive ship and putt national finals in order to showcase the skills of all the golfers participating, which will be junior golfers from across the U.S., Canada, including a series of dedicated feature stories and competitors that will be airing on Sunday, April 12, 2, where 80 finalists from across those countries will gather uh, at, US, at Augusta National Golf Club for the 2017 Draftship Pot in National uh, Finals. Uh, it's going to be officially kickoff Masters Week. 40 boys and 40 girls make up that exceptional field of junior golfers, having events from more than 250 local events spread throughout all 50 states, 50 sub-regional events, and a culmination of 10 regional qualifiers. And finally, the Masters, just after, uh, more from the Masters, just after the annual drive, chip, and pot at Augusta National, Bubba Watson's week will get off to a competitive start on Sunday before the tournament begins. That's when Watson and his wife Angie play an annual match with Augusta National members Condoleezza Rice, the former Secretary of State, and Lee Steislinger. It's a guys against girls battle with a trophy which is more like a water jog according to Bubba with the winner's themes etched to it. It began a couple of years ago when Rice asked about playing golf with Angie Watson, whose handicap was once as low as three, according to Bubba. You know, it's all a good fun. Thank God that Mrs. Rice doesn't have that detail anymore with her because 
Otherwise, Bubba would not be able to drive those bombs he does. They would be deemed weapons of mass destruction. Uh, or maybe his words. I don't know which of the two. But with that, Kieran, do you have anything else you would like to add before we close the show? Uh, just what I said a minute ago, but looking forward to next week. Yes, thanks for having me again on the show. <laughs> yes, we expect you to be here next week when we're going to preview what? The Masters! Yes, it's going to oh, be here. Finally. Finally, Masters, Masters. Can't wait, can't wait, can't wait. Can we do it now? <laughs> <laughs> no, we can't. Unfortunately, we can. But, well, Backniners, that wraps up another week of the Backnine Report presented by eDraft.com. Thank you for listening. It's always our pleasure to bring you the latest on the world of golf. Special thanks to you, Kieran. Always, it's a pleasure Thank to be you. with you here sharing uh, your knowledge with us. It's a great, great way that you always talk golf with us. Don't forget to join us again next Tuesday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time here on Block Talk Radio. We're going to have a great preview of the Masters, and Kieran's going to be here. If you missed mm-hmm. us this week, check it out on iTunes or tune in. And also remember, we're also now on TV, on Roku TV. And if you haven't done so, follow the show on Twitter or ID is at Back Nine Report with the number nine in the middle. My name is Carlos Torres, along with Kieran Clark. We wish you to be happy, be blessed, and enjoy the great game of golf. Happy golfing, everybody. Good night. <laughs>